Welcome everyone to the 72nd episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozella here with Nick Tartaglia. Nick, it's summer. We're back uh, in t-shirts, shorts, and all kinds of good things, but the Mm -hmm. economy seems to have slowed down. At least that's Mm -hmm. what the sense that we're getting right now. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the current. That's the sense we're getting. The sentiment is, and the mainstream is starting to talk about things that we've been discussing discussing for a while. Things like uh, stagflation, recession, um, more geopolitical tension, possible food shortages. Um, you know, and these things are going to start to develop more and more as the winter comes around, and you're going to see more of the energy problems. Uh, commodity crunch. We just had the six hundred billion dollar announcement by the G seven for uh, infrastructure in order to compete against China. Although obviously it's going to like the Keynesian principles of stimulating the economy into a kind of prosperity. So um, that's kind of where things are heading, or at least looks like they're heading right now. I think the important thing too, is to just keep your head on a swivel because a lot of unexpected things can ultimately happen. And I think there's a lot of unexpected guests that we've uh, been able to have these couple of a uh, couple of weeks here, but uh, there's nobody who I think is more, suitable right now to talk about what's happening uh, in the West from a macroeconomic standpoint as well. Um, we're going to get right into it because time is of the essence here. But um, this gentleman, he's calling out of Florida here today. He's a professional economist, investment expert, university professor, and the author of over 25 books. Since 1980, he's been the editor of the award-winning newsletter, Forecasts and Strategies. He's currently, the, uh, he's currently uh, at a presidential fellow at Chapman University. Uh, where he received the, quote, my favorite professor award in 2019. And he was recently ranked one of the top 20 most influential living economists in the world. Um, He's written a bunch of newsletters, uh, and he was awarded the Triple Crown in economics for his work in theory, history, and education, presented by Steve Forbes as well. Uh, And he's got a widespread experience in three major sectors, working in the government with the CIA, nonprofits, and for-profits, of course, Uh, And he's been featured on multiple news and financial media publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, uh, the Christian Science Monitor, as well as CNBC, CNN, ABC News, Fox News, C-SPAN, Book TV. Uh, And he also, his works include some, uh, the, the structure of production, the making of modern economics, and the maxism of Wall Street. Um. This gentleman is an absolute legend. We're thrilled to have him here today. He's calling out of Orlando, Florida. Welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast, Mark Skousen. Dan, thank you very much. You said legendary. That must mean I'm old. <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> wisdom. Anymore. Yeah, oh, exactly. I see. Wisdom. Uh, yeah, the legend, know, uh, because from our framework, we don't have any. Of the, we got to look at some people differently than others, and you're a legend. Uh-huh. Yes, I started being called a legend at the Vancouver Resource Conference that, <laughs> where we met. So uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I told my publisher it. He he was impressed. He said, "Yeah, we'll we'll introduce you from now on as the legendary Mark Skousen." <laughs> <laughs> we so are Mark, we're, we're we're thrilled to have you. Thanks. Yeah, so absolutely. So to start off, just give us a brief little history as to who you are how you started off in economics, the, like just to get a little to your thoughts, the why you did what you did. So I have uh, decided at a young age to get uh, to major in economics. So I have a bachelor's, master's and PhD in economics from George Washington University. And I was able to get all those degrees without ever taking a course in personal finance, investments, business management, accounting and what have you. So that shows you how narrowly focused economics can be. And 
So ever since getting my PhD, I've uh, reached out and applied my economics to real world experiences, whether working for the government, running a mail order business, uh, running uh, a nonprofit organization, fee foundation for economic education. Uh, so, you know, a wide variety of sources. I've been to 77 countries, including Canada, and uh, have, uh, uh, have I always keep one, one foot in the academic world. So I've taught at Rollins College here in Winter Park, Florida. I've also taught at Columbia Business School and Columbia University. I actually taught 10 years at Sing Sing Penitentiary, not as an inmate, but <laughs> as a instructor. And uh, I'm currently out in California teaching at Chapman University. But that's just part of my life. It's not my main source of income is writing my investment newsletter, my trading services, and writing books and publishing books and, and, uh, and selling those and so forth. Um, so that's generally my background. I'm married with uh, my first wife and five children, seven grandchildren. We've lived in many different countries. Uh, and I think that's, it's valuable. You know, you, you started off the show by talking about how the economy is weakening. And it's really hard to tell uh, I found uh, when you just walk around the neighborhood or downtown or what have you, do you really see any difference in terms of transportation, in terms of people being busy and sp spending time? I found this when I went to Japan uh, for the first time. I'd always heard that Japan was in a slump, in a 20-year slump. Stock mm -hmm. market had fallen and had not recovered. And they had huge debts and all that sort of thing. But when I went to Japan... I discovered that they were just as active, just as vibrant, uh, just as uh, 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 active uh, in everything they did. I, there was no, I couldn't find any evidence of any slowdown and what have you. So I think we're, we're prisoners of these statistics from time to time, and maybe we, over, we overdo it. I, I think we're in a recovery stage, basically, from the pandemic, from the lockdown, which was really uh, insane. Uh, Canada was a poster child for mm -hmm. what not to do in the lockdown. Uh, panicky people, people living in fear instead of faith, leaders who do not lead properly. Australia, New Zealand did the same thing. Uh, I. I was really disappointed. I mean, I, I've been a big fan of Canada. I've been here, uh, been there on many occasions. And I was very impressed with the uh, turnaround that Japan, uh, that, uh, that Canada went through in the late 90s and early 2000s. You cut your tax rates, your corporate tax rate to 15%. A lot of positive things that were happening. And, and it looks like uh, uh, it's no longer the paradise that I thought it was. It's a huge river. When did you realize that there was a disconnect? Because that's something we've been coming more and more to realization is that a lot of the systemic type of educational understanding of economics has a huge kind of disconnect between what you're taught versus how to perceive it in the real world. When did you realize there was that gap? Um, I think it came largely just from my travels because I'd always read up on a country before I go there. And then every time I went there, and this happened maybe after four or five times, I realized this, that the, the data and what people wrote about just didn't fit the reality that I saw in person. So uh, 
it it kind of suggests that our uh, our uh, statistics are skewed that they're not really you know that for example they leave out the black market activities pretty much and so how do you measure that well i guess you mm-hmm. can measure it from a consumption consumer taxes and so on because black people engage in the black market engage in 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 spending habits and business as well as long as they're spending money and so forth then then that's an indication of what is really going on so i think it was just a uh, experience and travel and so forth uh, that that made made me question i'm very skeptical about data let me give you another example global warming everybody is alarmist many people are alarmist about global warming but i've been to the i don't know about you guys but i've been to the seashores of florida and california for the last 30 to 50 years and i see no evidence of the sea rising or or the the tides coming in and flooding and that sort of thing. I just don't see it in the places that I've been. And maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. I'm willing to accept that I could be wrong, but that's been my experience. I met a person the other day who was very much an alarmist about the uh, global warming and stuff, but she had, she had just bought a really nice house on the beach. Nice. That, it seems to be totally hypocritical or contradictory to everything that it's like they they spout one philosophy but they when it comes down to practice they don't live it is, is her so, name nancy pelosi <laughs> <laughs> or uh could be uh osama uh you know it could be obama i mean uh, there's lots of al gore i understand has a place mm-hmm. on the beach i mean really it's crazy well, here, here's here, here's the funny part. Sorry to interrupt, Dick. It's just no, I, no, I, I'll no. let you continue. But um, you know, if if that was actually an issue, uh, banks would not be lending to commercial developments mm-hmm. in Florida right now or California, right? Especially Miami, Miami, exactly. Skyscraper city, exactly. So it's it's almost like there's all this hysteria that's just driving behavior and driving people to just you know think irrationally in a way mm-hmm. nick go ahead no but that's it i just gonna say it's the ideologue it's people are so fixated on thought and letting thought drive fear that they don't ground themselves into anything <clears throat> real to establish whether or not the thoughts and the idea the ideologies they're developing or hearing whether or not they're applicable to real life there's that yeah, disconnect and, think- and it's scary I think we see that we saw that with the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. The uh, overreaction. Uh, there, there are really two kinds of people in life. I don't, I don't like left, right, or any of that kind. Of liberal, conservative, uh, uh, progressive. I mean, uh, I think we need a different terminology. But I like mm-hmm. alarmist versus skeptics. Uh, and it's I'm more in the skeptical camp uh, when it comes to all of these things, including. People that are predicting the end of the world scenarios and the stock market crash is going to happen overnight. Uh, we we have a lot of people who are doom and gloomers, and uh, I tend to be more optimistic. But you have to be realistic. Markets are in a bull market; they're in a bear market. We're in a bear market right now. I think that's pretty clear, um, and no doubt due to raising of interest rates and perhaps a slowdown in the economy, stagflation, if you will. Uh, but uh, I, I don't like to buy into the scenario. Well, like the other day, somebody called me and says, well, all my friends are 100% in cash, 100% in cash. And I thought to myself, well, 100% in cash, 
uh, is going to burn a hole in your pocket because you're going to be antsy to put that money to use. Uh, and so, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you're fully invested and the market goes down, you feel bad. And if you're out of the market, and the market starts rallying like it has been in the last couple of days. You feel bad about that, too. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to find the golden mean. Uh, I, my attitude is right now I'm building a bit of a cash position. I have a 20 percent cash position in the markets. Smart. But the rest of it, I'm still invested. I'm adding to it uh, because I I'm optimistic about technology, about the future. I mean, yeah, if we have a nuclear war that Putin uh, imposes, that could be quite a setback. So uh we we can't we can't be Pollyannish. We have to look try to be as realistic as we can. I was reading your one of your newsletters when we got back from Vancouver. Uh, probably I think it was the May edition, and you basically talked about it. You're like, why do you it, time in timing the market is not an effective strategy than time in the market? And I think that's the biggest cliche. But when when you have a, a good following that you've really developed, and and you know the the culture that you're building around Freedom Fest too, which we'll talk about soon. Um, you know, what, what's your main message to these individuals, especially that younger generation that's coming into the, you know, they're, they're trying to become smarter investors. They're trying to look at things more objectively. Like what, what do you tell them, uh, when things are getting crazy, like they, they were the last, you know, two, two and a half years. It, certainly, um, the timing of the market. In fact, I'm having a debate at Freedom Fest with Mike Turner who's a technical trader. So it's going to be, uh, uh, investing for the long term buy and hold strategy versus timing the market. And of course, he's he's a technical trader and he's timing the market and so forth. So he's out of the market right now. And certainly timing the market does work when there's a real bear market like we're seeing right now. But most of the time, you're not sure you're in a bear market or a bull market. Uh, the markets uh, fluctuate and you can be whipsawed. You can whipsawed a lot where the moving average, you get below the moving average, you get out, and then suddenly you're above the moving average, you get back in and uh, you can be whipsawed over and over again. So it does work when you're in a legitimate bear market. Like right now, he's made quite a bit of money for his people and people find that very attractive. Uh, my portfolio is down. I'm not as down as much as the market, but I am down. But I like what Dick Russell said, the late Dick Russell, the Dow Theory Letters. He said, in a bear market, the winner is he who loses the least. And uh, if you're 100% in the cash, which these technical traders are right now, they didn't participate at all in the, in the rally. And they're not going to participate in the uh, rally until it crosses the moving average. And by that time, it's up 20%. So you missed out on that. So uh, there, it's hard to, um, the, it's very difficult to consistently make money in the marketplace. If you have a long-term upward trend and the optimists have won that, that uh, debate over the years, long-term upward trend for the markets is up, at least in the United States. Uh, we have a well-diversified poll portfolio. We have a free market capitalist system, basically, despite every effort to, by the Democrats and sometimes the Republicans to, to make that uh, more difficult. Uh, but dollar cost averaging, uh, I mean, you can get a good 12% annualized return. So why get greedy? Okay, you can make 25% if you're timing the market. But there'll be other times where 
you're whipsawed and, and you lose money. I mean, uh, the technical trader that I'm debating uh, at Freedom Fest is um, he's had he's had a good year this year, but he's underperformed the last five years. So, uh, you know, you, you choose your poison. Do you like dividend yields right now? I've always been a fan of uh, dividend paying stocks in companies that are growing, that are truly growth and income stocks. So you can't just use dividends as the only criteria mm -hmm. because what if they cut their dividend? What if they eliminate their dividend? And that can happen. There's nothing guaranteed about it. But for uh, companies that are raising their dividend, their dividend uh, growers, uh, they do outperform the market. Uh, you can't avoid the bear market with it, but it does cushion the fall. You continue to get that dividend. So I have a number of companies in my newsletter that have uh, been paying a rising dividend for some time. And uh, if you do dollar cost averaging with the uh, uh, when the dividends are reinvested, uh, you can do quite well. Yeah, I was looking here. You've 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 Dow, you've Verizon, Coca Cola. You like Walgreens too. I mean, can't go wrong with Walgreens. I mean, there's one on every corner in America, right? Um, well, so actually, that stock is down thirty percent this year, so <laughs> it hasn't done as well as I expected. But uh, the ones that I've done really well is Enterprise Products, uh, EPD, which is a pipeline company. It's mm -hmm. up twenty percent. And Main Street Capital, which is a private uh, investment in small business, uh, it's down a little bit this year, but has has uh, really good uh, opportunities. So I think it's a good good investment, and it's a monthly dividend program. That's Main Street Capital, M A I N, is the symbol. Yeah. Well, it's good if if the price keeps going down, the dividend yields just get juicier. Yeah. Right? Plus, if you have a repurchasing program, you're just buying more stock at a cheaper price. So. Yes, you are. And the charts really show that when you do that dollar cost averaging, you're getting a lot more shares at the lower prices. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have to have the you have to have the stock return. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Come back. But even if you have a, a stock that is not trending anywhere, but is volatile up and down, you're actually ahead of the game because like you like Nick, you say you're buying more of the stock when the price is low. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I wanted to ask you this as an investment type of like for the younger generations of the future, do you think having a more economic understanding of markets would make people more effective in the markets for themselves? Well, I'm a fan of Jay Paul Getty and, uh, and, and your own Canadian, Kevin O'Leary. Uh, both of them basically argue uh, that you, uh, you, you uh, save a lot, you live within your means and you invest the difference, uh, and uh, and you do this on a regular basis, and and you can become rich doing that. So, uh, J. Paul Getty's thesis is: you buy stocks that are uh, are well managed, uh, are making a profit, hopefully even paying a dividend, and um, you, you dollar cost average, and you take advantage of the lows that occur. And uh, you don't worry about the ups and downs of the, of the economy. So that's the general approach that, that I have taken. It works better in the United States. The U.S. does have, there is American exceptionalism. I showed a chart at the Vancouver Resource Conference of uh, the U.S. stock market versus the Canadian stock market. And you, you've had a bear market that's lasted over five years, maybe yeah. seven years. 
it's been that's, uh, a long, that's a long time. That is a, that is a very long time, especially in something that's supposed to be a country that's supposed to be growing, uh, you know, at least one or two percent annually. But that's obviously that's obviously changed. Let's hope the commodity cycle changes that. I think that's what it is. It, it's that the Canadian market is viewed as a commodity market, but you're also heavy in oil. You would think that would be buoyant. Yeah, but it's scary to because the Canadian government is much more. Um, passive aggressive like they really don't want it they even like they're happy to make things worse it <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the biden administration same thing. yeah it's you, you you mentioned something uh on your website it's the biden disaster plan i mean it's a perfect segue into what's happening in the energy crisis so real briefly because i know we're short on time here but like what what's what what are you forecasting uh, is going to be the result of this administration just based on what they've done over the last two years and what they plan on doing for the next, hopefully, remainder of their term. Yeah, I think despite all the rhetoric, they're not really going to be able to do much about inflation because you have to increase production output in order to get that. And with their heavy regulations and their emphasis on uh, uh, this whole emphasis uh, on alternative energy instead of the uh, uh, non-renewables, fossil fuels, uh, I think that, that that really doesn't help. Uh, and then on top of it, they're really reimposing a lot of regulations. They want to raise taxes. Fortunately, the Trump tax cuts are still in place. They have not been able to push that through. And you have to remember that I, I can still be relatively optimistic with my three stock choices in in the Biden uh, the Biden uh, disaster plan I recommend uh, an oil stock a, uh, a financial stock and a technology stock and they're all doing fairly well um, and and it's a way to profit from the stupidity of, of these government officials and the, and one of the positive things is that uh, November they're going to the Democrats are going to be spanked and uh, they're going to lose control of Capitol Hill completely, except for uh, uh, the White House. And they'll have that for a few years. So Biden is not going to be able to push through any of his radical agenda that has been tr- trying to push through uh, most recently. I mean, it's just and then all this stuff that's going on with our military and in our schools with the woke stuff. And I know Canada has the same problem. Jordan Peterson's been fighting, a, I guess, a losing battle mm-hmm. on that whole issue, which is really, I mean, he, he makes so much common sense. Uh, he's truly a hero. Um, and we depend on you guys. We depend on America. Like the way we see it is if you guys fall apart, we will absolutely fall apart. Yeah. If you guys change the tide, then we can bandwagon off that momentum or else we're absolutely screwed. That's how so we you're saying. It. If America gets the flu, you get pneumonia. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> that's how that's literally how we see it, because you guys shift the tide. A lot of our media or the way the politics is, is driven by what the states will do. If they go hard on something on the left, then here the left will do the same thing. I, I, yeah, and I don't want to I don't want to go into what happened this past weekend, but the fact that we had our own leader talk about the decision by the Supreme Court and then people are saying, "Well, what do you like 
Why is this guy? Why, here and no, we'll but why is this guy this. getting involved in U.S. politics? <laughs> Are you talking about the abortion decision? Yeah, correct. correct. But correct. The, they, there was even a comment about allowing people to come here, and we would Canadian taxpayers would cover the cost. Okay, so abortion is legal in Canada. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So you do you can kill at will your unborn child. That's, That's according according to to that. Yeah, that is that is Canada for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we have to put these things bluntly in terms of uh, this, abortion is never anything to celebrate. That's for sure. Definitely. No, of not. course. No. Um, what we'll do, um, I want to just wrap it up here because we want to have you on again a uh, little bit more time next time as well. But uh, tell us just briefly what Freedom Fest is and where can the listeners find you uh, yeah. on the next epic event in Vegas? Yeah, Dan, thank you. Yeah, we're in our 15th year and Freedom Fest is just uh, it's it's just a great way for people of like minds like yourselves to get together and uh, just celebrate, learn from each other, celebrate, network. Uh, uh, we we do a three and a half day conference. It's in Las Vegas. It's July 13th to the 16th. It's called Freedom Fest, the world's largest gathering of free minds. And we have over 350 speakers. Uh We've had all kinds of celebrity speakers, in, including uh, two Canadians, William Shatner and Kevin O'Leary. <laughs> uh, and this year we have John Cleese, the British comedian, talking about the cancel culture and uh, lots of breakout sessions. We have a financial conference. In fact, Jay Martin is coming. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll be there at our conference. Uh, and it's it's just uh, a great time. So if people go to freedomfest.com, they can read uh, what's happening there. And we hope you can cross the border and uh, come join us. Well, awesome. that's definitely one way to end our first mm -hmm. ever discussion with what I believe. And I think Nick and I believe is somebody who's an absolute legend. I mean, look, there's Milton Friedman. There's Thomas Sowell. I would place you just right. <laughs> there's Ludwig. There's Freddie. Like, <laughs> Hayek. You're, you're, you're adding you're getting added to the list. Well, I appreciate the uh, confidence. I do have a book called Delusions of Grandeur. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Great title. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, what, by the way, before we finish, what was your favorite book to write? Well, actually, my book, The Making of Modern Economics, which is a history of the great economic thinkers from Adam Smith on mm -hmm. to Milton Friedman, and in between have ch wholesale chapters on Karl Marx and John Maynard Keynes and so forth. That's been my most celebrated book and a book mm -hmm. that I have really enjoyed writing. Uh, if people go to scousenbooks.com, they can get it at a at a, okay. a cheaper price than, than Rutledge, the publisher. And for, for my financial books, uh, The Maxims of Wall Street is just a tremendous book. It's, it's a, a quote book uh, full of wisdom about Wall Street. Uh, and uh, I think things things that people can enjoy. So those are two of my, two of my favorite books. And again, okay, you can go to scousenbooks.com to get more information. Awesome. Mark Skousen, ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. We can't wait to have you back on. Go check them out. Freedom Fest. It's coming up next month. It's going to be a good time in Las Vegas. And we'll see you guys next time on the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Ciao, guys. Right, thank you. Thank you, Dan and Nick.